Guys, if you're anything like me, looking at maps has always been a huge part of my preparation and execution for my outdoor adventures. I have been using GoHunt digital maps on desktop and mobile for quite some time now. I have used these maps for years for my in-depth e-scouting tactics and my methods of using offline maps during the hunt. Well, now I'm happy to report GoHunt maps now covers all 50 states. There's two ways to get the Go Hunt map. You can sign up for a Go Hunt Insider membership and get the benefits of all the draw odds, harvest statistics, unit breakdowns, strategy articles, as well as access to the 50 state maps, plus savings on gear for being an Insider member. Like right now, they're doing double points. For an Insider membership, sign up now at GoHunt.com, use the J. Scott promo code, and get a $50 GoHunt Gear Shop gift card just for signing up. You can also just sign up for a GoHunt Explorer membership, and that gives you access to 50 states for 50 bucks. Use the J. Scott promo code. Guys, also, don't forget to get a 10% discount on gear at the Go Hunt Gear Shop by using the J. Scott promo code. You can also reach out to my friend Cody Nelson of 20 plus years, either by phone or by text, 602-399-3699. Make sure you tell him I sent you. I want to thank GoHunt.com for their loyal sponsorship of my podcast. We're over 815 episodes in, and they've been with me for, since the beginning. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting for their sponsorship of this podcast. They provide the gear that I use on all of my hunting adventures. You can go to the Kuyu website directly, kuiu.com, order directly. They're a direct-to-consumer company. Uh, they make the best gear in the in the hunting industry, and I've been a loyal supporter of theirs for years. Also, phonescope.com. Go to phonescope.com. Use the J. Scott or jscott22 promo code, and you're going to get a 10% discount at PhoneScope. Guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for, for supporting me. If you have any questions or you'd like to send me a comment, the best way to do that is on my Instagram account, at jscottoutdoors. Again, let's get right to this episode, and thanks for your support. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I've got my buddy Craig Steele of Exclusive Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters on the line. Craig, how you doing? Good, man. How you doing, Jay? Good. I haven't talked to you in a while. I wanted to get an update from you. Uh, we've got our Arizona deer hunts, antelope hunts, and elk hunts coming up here uh, very soon. How are things looking out there on the Unit 10 front? Uh, it's I, it's looking good. I mean, monsoon was just a touch late as far as showing up, but it showed up and, and rained pretty darn good. Uh, most of that unit is in pretty good shape, got good feed. Um, and I would say it, it kind of lacks compared to like some of the other units, seven and eight, uh, even parts of nine got wetter than, than tended. But there's there's some spots that are really green at ten. So, would you say it's better or worse than last year? Um, as far as the, the rain, it's it's probably about the same. You know, it just depends. You know how it is. Every year is different. You know, guys always talk about, man, it's raining and training. Always clients talk, oh, man, you guys been getting a lot of rain up there. Well, it doesn't just rain in the same spot. You know what I mean? Just because, right. you know, it's, it's so variable. Um you know, where we guide one, our ranch in Unit 10, it hasn't gotten as much rain as what it did last year at this point, but it's gotten some good rain. Um, it's just 
just depends on where those hard cells hit. Right now, it's really ramped up the monsoon for this week. So uh, pretty much all of northern Arizona is probably going to get hit one way, shape, or form. So uh, it's it's good, though. Um, I know what you probably want to know. And the, bull, <laughs> the, the bulls look better than they did last year. Okay, so as far as antler growth, you're saying the elk look better uh, bull for bull than they did last year? Yeah, the reports I'm seeing and the, the bulls that I've seen and the stuff that I've seen, they they look a lot better than they did last year. I think a lot of people just don't understand how bad it was last year. When you don't have any water, you know, all those animals are competing for the same water and food sources well correct you know? me if i'm wrong but last year's monsoon was too late to, to really help the antlers out it was really dry when they first started growing their antlers and that's why the antlers were not that great and then we had pretty dang good monsoon but it came late not enough to affect the antler but what you're saying is it probably helped this year's antler sets out because it had good monsoon last year you know decent winter moisture um, and then now, you know, a, a kind of average monsoon, that's, that's what you're saying, right? Well, in, so in my opinion, the monsoon directly, like this year's monsoon won't impact antler growth for elk at all, except for maybe next year. Correct. Growth, because, you know, the holdover overfeed, browse conditions and the, you know, uh, you know, basically the catch water that we get, um, that's when, the, you know, that impacts the following year. So as far as timing of the monsoon, I always look at it for like a elk rut indicator that, you know, if we get good monsoon and a good early monsoon, you know, those, those cows are going to cycle better because they're going to have the fat reserves and those bulls are going to feel better because they pack on that fat. So, yeah, this this last year, yeah, we we were kind of dry still from, you know, we had a few timely storms, but overall we were down in our precipitation in the, you know, critical periods from January to essentially April, which are the most critical periods for, you know, antler growth as far as precipitation goes to lay that feed down, but um with that being said, where we were at going into the 2021 season was just absolutely unbelievably dry, like dismal as dry as it's ever been, you know? So, um, so Craig, with these storms that, you know, kind of forecasted over the next week being mid August storms, the bulls are rubbing their velvet right now and they will be over the next week. Some of them have already rubbed a um, bunch of them have already rubbed. As far as outlook for rut and rut timing and cows, you know, feeling fat and sassy and, and good, you're thinking that aspect, probably a pretty good rut. Yeah, I'm thinking overall it's going to be, it's going to be a pretty consistent, you know, rut. I think they're going to cycle fairly normal, you know, uh, especially if it keeps it up. Um, you know, some areas got it early, 10 didn't get it as early as some of the units, um, some areas got it earlier, but it, you know, a couple good storms and that sure did change the game. So what, what we've seen right now is the bulls are just 
they are just gorging themselves, you know, um, and the cows are as well. And they're just trying to make gains. That's just what they do. Um, it's just biology, you know, they just, they have to put on that feed or that fat, you know, by eating that feed and, you know, that promotes a, a stronger or average or more consistent rut than a drier year when, you know, the cows don't cycle appropriately because, you know, they're in survival mode basically. So I think it's going to be a pretty good rut. You know, some areas will probably start sooner than later. You know, there's a lot of influences that go into that from bull to cow ratio and, you know, pressure and and all that. But as far as from a feed standpoint, if, if we get this this week as strong as they say they're going, it's going to, I think, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to start fairly, fairly good and it's going to stay fairly consistent, you know depending on pressure and bull to cow ratio and so on and so forth. But Okay, let's stay on. I've been pleasantly surprised with some of the bulls that I've seen and some of their back ends. And even their body shape was, they were just better overall, you know, um, than, than last year at this time frame. Now, last year was also, we set the bar pretty low, you know. Right. Um, let's stay on this elk theme. Uh, we've got a September 10th full moon. How do you, how would you tell guys that that's going to translate for that opening weekend of, um, elk season? It's, I mean, you're going to have some, some running activity. Uh, but you know, you know how the full moon is, is if we get a heat wave or whatnot, I mean, it could drastically turn it to just a mute session, you know, um, for that first four, five, six days, you know, it's going to be very important to, to either, you know, depending on how the weather is to either a set water or be, you know, be in country that you can glass. And, you know, I always like when it's a full moon, I always like, you know, the midday activity, as long as it's not super hot, you know, if a cow cycles, a cow cycles, you know, um, if a cow's in heat and there's bulls around, they're gonna they're gonna get the rut. It just is what it is. It's just biology. But if the cows aren't cycling, then you know, and we get a and we have that full moon and we have heat. That's when things get really diminished. And if you have pressure, if you're hunting on public stuff and you have a lot of pressure, guys seem to get a little bit more, start walking a little bit more, start pressing a little bit more because they feel that sense of urgency and then they start bumping elk and pretty soon you've got a you know a clamp on the rut you know um so i would just tell people to be patient and you know don't get discouraged if you're not hearing them go nuts that first weekend because that's typically normal you know right i think one tip um guys can take from what you just said is you know if you know where they're betting and you can get on a knob where you can kind of look into their betting area and kind of have them figured out you don't want to be trouncing through the beds but certainly if you know if all of a sudden we got a little bit of moisture got some clouds you know cooled off a little bit in those times when it is full moon you can kind of work bulls during the middle of the day because you know if it's not super hot they they and and they will probably get up during midday, check the cows, bugle a little bit, and you know lay back down. Um, also, with that, Craig, wouldn't you say that 
um, you know, typical full moon is they're heading to the trees early in the morning and they're late to come out of the trees into the open. So they're just kind of delayed. But while they're in the trees bedded up, they could be on their feet a little more than normal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they again, if, if cows are cycling, that will dictate a lot. You know, if they've got a cow that's in heat, if they don't, you know, that that's going to promote them to hold up even more. You know, they're going to, you know, move a little less. And the other thing is, too, is I don't think a lot of guys talk about is during full moon times, too, you could see a bull, especially early, early on during the rut. It might be the only time you see him because he might be still moving 10, 20 miles. You know, um, I think a lot of guys don't really understand how much you know bulls will move to go breed cows and we've we've started you know thinking you know a lot especially the mature bulls the bulls that hit that seven eight ten years old they know they're gonna go to the cows that they've bred before that are in our opinion they're gonna go to the cows that they know first and believe me, they know them by their smell, by their sounds, and they're going to go try to find them, those cows first. So, yeah, you might have cows in the area, and there's no way of humanly possible unless they're tagged or, you know, that you're going to know that that's a cow that he knows or that's the group of cows that, you know, your buddy saw a big bull with last year because those, those cows move based on the feed and the pressure. And every year is different with our feet, you know. Um, some areas, you know, could be a lot drier than what they were last year or wetter. So, but I guess my point is, is, you know, there's a lot of movement and a lot of shifting at night. And especially early on in the rut, just because you see a bull doesn't mean he's going to be, he's going to be there for the next three or four days especially if he's by himself. Now, with that being said, we've seen bulls, you know, having the privilege to hunt some private property that we'll see them one time and then we won't see them again until the early rifle hunt. And they probably left and went somewhere else to check some more cows that they're familiar with, that they know about when they cycle and then came back to check on the other cows. So that's, you know, some of the little nuances that, you learn over the years that from hunting year after year and hunting the same elk that a lot of guys don't learn because they're jumping all around, you know, and it, it, you, you can't really keep track of, but you know, I know a lot of guys in this day and age, they, they have a buddy that had a tag the year previous or they're getting as much information as they possibly can. And then they go back to try to hunt the same bull and he could be there, but he's going to be wherever those cows are that, that let him, freedom in the past you know um it's just i think it's you know one of those relationships that we don't talk about that much and you don't get to see if you if you're just hunting every 10 years you know um i i think too craig like my experience up at the ranch in colorado is exactly what you're saying one thing i'd like to point out too is seems like every bull has their own different personality some of them are wanderers some of them are homebodies you know some of them change 
you know, for three or four years, they're, they're a certain way. And then all of a sudden they become a homebody. Um, but it's interesting to see, and I'm sure you see some of that up on the ranch as well, where maybe you'll have a, a bull and you can, you know, you know him, you know him by his bugle, you recognize him and you know, he's always in the same spot. And then maybe you have a same bull that's the same year, you know, age class, but he wanders all over the property, leaves the property, comes back, you know, and it has a totally different personality. Isn't it interesting to see the different kind of personalities that each one of those bulls have? Yeah, it is amazing. Animals do. They do. We like to tend to classify them by their species, right? But they do. They're, they're just like our dogs, you know. And some are a little bit more timid than others, you know. Not always is the biggest scoring bull going to be the bull that has all the cows, you know. It just, like you said, they, they do all have little different nuances and personalities that, uh, you know, kind of shapes what they do. So it's it's interesting when you get to, you get to actually see that. You, you, uh, you, you start to question everything that you thought you knew, you know. Sure. Um, about about these animals well and i think the older we get and the more chance we get to spend time with them the more you you kind of realize that that you know the second we think we know a lot it, it only takes a little while to figure out that that we're wrong um and that's yeah. the fun part uh i'm going to put you on the spot here unit 10 um what do you think the biggest bull that will be killed out of the whole unit this year will be in unit 10 well, they just killed what they're calling a 402 off the Wallapai Reservation. I I think there's going to be, a, you know, I think there's going to be a few bulls in that 390 to probably 415 range killed. Um, are you there? Yeah, I got you. Um, and what I mean by that is everybody that listens to this has got 10 tags and be looking for that. But, you know, that's... It's going to be fewer than farther between, you know, um, but, I, but I do think, I think there's going to be a handful of bulls in that category that are killed. Um, there's just, the bulls just look a little bit better this, this year than what I anticipated. Okay. With that being said, uh, we talk about it all the time when I have you on. In your opinion, is Unit 10 trending up or trending down or is it staying the same? It's it's i believe it's still trending down from where it was five years ago um six years ago when they had double the tags in there it's just math you know um if they keep the tag numbers down keep it very modest and get the age class up you're going to continue to see it you know it, it's going to plateau at some point in time um but you're going to continue to see it get a little bit better it's, it's not going to be like it was back in you know the early 2000s but you're going to see it continue to produce good bulls if they get greedy and they start deciding that they're going to make it a unit 6a again then you'll you'll see that swing back down pretty quickly um, especially on the early rifle and and late rifle hunts you know um, archery as well but you know a lot of bulls get you know, especially on those early rifle hunts, a lot of bulls get killed. You know, when they give a 100 or 150 tags, pretty much 90% of the guys are killing bulls. Yeah. You know, um, and then on the late tags, when they have the late tags up at 600, you know, versus what they have them at now, um, 
you know, and they got, you know, a, a kill percentage of 40, 50%, you know, it's, it, it mucks the age class out. So, um, it, I, I think it's still trending upward. I think it's going to start to taper here a little bit. I don't think it's going to trend down. Um, if they keep the tags the same, I just think it's going to kind of level off. So just to be clear, because um, I might have misunderstood you, you think Unit 10 is trend, still trending down, meaning the quality is going down? or you? Think no, I think it's still trending up. Sorry. Okay. okay. I, I, I think, I think you said fall. down. You might have misspoke, but you're saying you yeah. it's still slightly trending up. It's still slightly trending up, and I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna plateau at some point in time, you know. Right. Um, but as long as they keep those tag numbers how they are, pretty modest conservatively, um, it's it's, you know, it's gonna hold at where it's at. It's just math, you know. But if they don't, they get greedy with their tag numbers, then you know, that's that will dictate that really quick or have it go trend down really quick if they increase those tags. Sure. Let's shift gears some um, real fast. Um, let's talk a little bit about the deer um, up there in all that area that you that you um, work. What are the deer looking like? What are your thoughts on deer? Well, you know, I so our deer, as you know this, I think some of New Mexico's like this, obviously Mexico, you know, pretty much our deer from the – from south of the Grand Canyon down, you know, they're, they're only 50 to 60% done right now. Um, so the monsoon does have huge impacts on their antler growth. So, you know, the, the deer are looking pretty good. You know, I think they're going to finish out pretty strong. Um, last year was a, a great antler growth year for south of the Grand Canyon for these you know, central and over-the-counter units. Um, so I, I think we're going to have another pretty good year for that just because of all the precipitation we've gotten in the last two weeks. So, they're, I mean, they're, they're packing it on right now versus, you know, the deer north of the canyon. They're, they're pretty much done, if not done, you know. Um, so the monsoon doesn't really impact them too much. You know, like like it does south of the canyon, and so in another another two weeks, I'll be able to tell you. But I think it's going to be good. Okay. What about antelope? Our antelope suck. <laughs> yeah, right. Our, Arizona's got a problem with antelope right now. Um, this is, you know, and the reality of it is, there. I'm not a biologist. Don't proclaim to be one. Um, but it, we have a lot of human, human encroachment in a lot of the areas where antelope live. I think the monsoon, the lack of monsoon we had in 19 and 2020 and 2019 and 2020 really impacted the fawn recruitment. Um, they weren't able to hide those fawns or maybe even aborted some fawns from the lack of food and water that we had in most places in Arizona. And it's just, we have a huge influx in, in human encroachment, a lot of, you know, the I-40 corridor, which is really essentially, if you just drive I-40 from west to east or east to west, is right in the center of antelope country. Um, 
And if you just take a look out your window from essentially Kingman to Holbrook, and you look at the amount of homes and fences and stuff that's out there, um, it wouldn't take a genius to figure out that our antelope can't move the way they need to move to reproduce and to essentially hold the populations. They're very, very finicky. They're, 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 you know, kind of like sheep, except for the disease aspect. They're very finicky. They need certain country to live in. Um, I, I saw a, they did a study in 18A where they collared some antelope. Um, and they, and I, over the last couple of years, I saw where they had some poachings along I-40 in that unit and a couple big bucks, like mid 80 type bucks. And then I saw a post by somebody on Instagram. I think it was an Instagram page called blood orange origins. And they, they interviewed Aaron Butler from the region three office. And I didn't listen to the podcast or anything, but I saw where the map where they had two antelope that were killed and the, the kind of the caption on that was you know basically why you need to manage predators there's you know lions and coyotes blah blah i can't remember exactly but i commented on there i'm like there's not only coyotes and lions in that country but it's infested with human encroachment and a lot of people that are not they're not the kind of people you want to meet out in the woods um, and that's just the truth. So I don't know if, if the, if they went in and found that those antelope were poached or if they were killed by coyotes and, and lions, but those fences also aid in those antelope not being able to move how they like to move. They hate fences. Um, they, they absolutely despise fences. They like large open areas or areas where they can run. That's their defense mechanism, obviously, is their eyes and their feet. And so one way or another, whether it was predators or not, you can't tell me that that wasn't human encroachment that impacted those antelopes. So the antelope are in bad shape. Um, it, guys, if guys can find a buck buck, they're, they should be ecstatic. Not saying that there's... There's going to be a few killed, but just fawn recruitment's been bad. Um, it's just, you cannot tell me one way or another that our antelope are in good shape. Um, you look at some of the stuff that's coming out in New Mexico, um, as far as their antelope size and everything, they just have more fawns hitting the ground to produce more big bucks. Um, and Arizona's just been training down. I don't, I, I can't really give you a, you know, a, a factual, but those are all my hunches is between the drought, human encroachment and the predators, um, whether it be human or, or native predators. Um, and we're just, we're not in good shape as far as our antelope. I just went and scouting. Too many tags too. Too many tags. Yeah. So I just went scouting in an area. I got a, uh, we got a rifle hunter in there that I'm taking and, uh, there's only five tags in the unit. I saw 72 antelope. I saw 72 antelope, and I think seven to ten of them were bucks. And I would say, when I say ten of them were bucks, two or three of them were year-old bucks that were, weren't even to their ears. And I probably, 
I almost guarantee I saw 80 to 85% of the antelope that were available to hunt. I don't know how we have five rifle tags in there because we shouldn't have more than one or two, in my opinion. Because when you got them, I think we should go off. Should We should shit can the, the buck to doe ratios and bull to doe ratios that we have now, and they should become mature buck to doe ratios, mature bull to cow ratios, because those are the, the breeding population. Now, antelope age very quickly, so, you know, two and a half, three and a half years old, they could be a, a breeding buck. Um, I guess my point is, is we've got to do something about our antelope. I don't know what the answer is. Um, I, I think they have worked on it. I know in H, that unit 18A, I know they did a bunch of tree clipping and they're doing that study in there and whatnot, but um, I don't think it's going to take a genius to figure out that uh, we have some poaching going on. We have too many fences, too many 40-acre parcels. And what I mean by fences is not so much the ranchers with the large tracts of lands that have, you know, their cattle in a big, you know, a big, uh, you know, grazing allotment. I'm talking about all the 40-acre parcels in these checkerboarded areas that are prime time antelope habit and now you've got 40 acre parcels with the first thing people do is they go and put a single wide trailer or pull something else out there and then they put a fence up and over time that has just made a huge impact and it really really impacts those antelope because they can't move like they need to move um, whether it be to evade predators or just to naturally feel comfortable to live in that that country guys uh i just am going to nominate craig Steele for president if you would like to donate to yeah. his campaign for the 2024 run uh you can was... just contact me i love you buddy um it's fantastic you know it's you've you've, you've born and raised right there you've seen it happen and you're not afraid to speak your mind i really appreciate that i i want to um I want to ask you about Rocksteady. We've talked about it here on the podcast. I've been watching on Instagram. I've been seeing the feedback from people using the product. You are the founder of the company. I want to talk to you about where are we at. Give me the 30,000-foot view of Rocksteady right now and anything else you would like to tell us about it. Yeah, man. Well, we got our... We got our uh, bipods out to market, so, you know, we... Uh, it was a long, long journey. Um, like the reality of it was, is I didn't set out to just build a product just to sell it, like just to make money, but you got to make money. And obviously, you know, that's, that's part of the deal. And the whole, whole vision for Rocksteady came from me hunting all my life and then guiding hunters and then you know, for those of you guys that don't know, I got predator hunts and I got big game hunts. And, uh, you know, when I was, when I was younger and I'm, I'm a tall guy, I'm six foot four. So when I was younger, I, I used to always use shooting sticks because I hated bipods because they were always too short for me. Anytime I sat on the side of a mountain, you know, whether it be a 2% pitch or a, 
you know, 10%, the bipods were too short for me. Um, so, and then watching hunters over the years with all sorts of different shooting platforms, whether it be big game or, or, uh, predator hunting, I just, I found myself not excited with everything that I saw. And, uh, I even wrote a few companies trying to figure out like, Hey, could you guys make this, do this? And then kind of just got the, Oh, why don't you try this? Or why don't you do this with this product? And it's not going to work. So a big vision was like, I need to build a bipod that's taller because all these bipods are too short. I don't know why they're building them like that. And then it became like, you know, in the big game world, I'm sure you've seen this is like, everything's like talks about is promoted is all long range prone shooting. And as, as I got the guiding, you know, especially late rifle elk hunts and whatnot, where you do have to shoot four, six, 700 yards, um, to make the shot. Yeah. Getting prone is like critical, but there's so many different hunting situations where you've got to be seated or you got to be kneeling. You know, it's just the truth. We're not at the range anymore, you know? Um, and I don't care if I'm shooting 50 yards or if I'm shooting a thousand yards, I just want to hit the animal to hit the dirt, you know? Um, so that, that's where it all started from is I wanted to build a bipod that allowed me to get high enough and then also didn't sacrifice, you know, those, those prone positions that allowed me to get in those prone positions because the old Harris that was 14 to 27 inches was always too high in the prone position or maybe it was 17 to 27 inches it was always too high in those prone positions and always too short in those seated positions. So it was just this quest kept going on, found my co-founder or partner, Josh, who's just an engineer, gearhead, machinist, way smarter than me. And then, you know, last year we finally, we, we did testing on prototypes, failure after failure. And uh, two years ago, finally had a working prototype. Um, got it out there, started using it with hunters. I started using it myself. Obviously, it was like 80% of what we had, not even that, maybe 70% of the bipod we have today. Tested, 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 come out with more. Then we come out with, we're going to give 10 prototypes away and have some beta suck some beta testers the test got some feedback from them and then this last year in august we launched did a pre-order to fund the company we basically had it 95 percent complete the final design but that last five percent was tough um successful launch it was pretty crazy to have that many people order and you know and not even have a product out freaking we finally got our bipods to market or to our pre-order customers starting in february and then we've been open up for sales we had a little bit of an issue um we make our bipods legs out of, with carbon fiber just because the strength to weight ratio just blows aluminum out of the water you know if you're going to make our bipods uh in and any sort of metal material, they're going to be heavier. And aluminum is just very weak when you get down to those small tube size. So, uh, been 
was able to find carbon fiber finally finally found a couple companies that could make carbon fiber because they were everything was on out of stock you couldn't find carbon fiber and uh carbon fiber tubes which we use we use a rolled wrap standard modules carbon fiber tube um and they are essentially you know they're most of the carbon fiber comes out of japan um and some in asia uh china um that's basically where that raw material comes from and then there's some u.s manufacturers that make the carbon fiber but but not that many anyway we're able to finally find carbon fiber with and we've been rolling ever since. Right now, we're, you can go to our website. We have three models. We have the prone hunting bipod. And then we have the P234, which that bipod is our best-selling bipod, which makes sense. It's five inches taller than any of the standard bipods. So like your Harris, it's 27 inches. Our bipod's five inch, goes five inches taller, and it goes in multiple different positions. Um, our design is completely different than anything that's out on the market. Um, we wanted to totally look at the bipod, how, how we built the bipod differently. Um, and the, going back to those prone positions, to the seated positions, to the kneeling position, I think a lot of the bipods that were built only the 27 inches were built that way originally and people have kind of followed suit with that 27 inch mark was because of how they looked on the gun the harris is fixed on your gun essentially it takes you probably you know two to five minutes to take it off our bipods quick release so we didn't look at it from the standpoint of even though our bipod looks killer when it's on your gun our bipod's designed to come off your gun. So you can put it in your pack or you can stow it on your gun if you're going down for the stock, you know, or you're hiking, however you want to do it. But we totally built our bipods to, first and foremost, create a stable platform for shooting and a multiple different positions and to give you the appropriate heights when you're hunting and varying terrain, which is what we do you know um so we just looked at it completely different and that's why we use the materials we designed the bipod the way it is um so we have that p234 model which is the one that everybody loves and then we have the p242 which is kind of the bipod if you're a predator hunter you're sitting a lot on steep side slopes or you're a bigger guy you know that's probably the bipod that you'll order so we're going to sell a little less because there's just a little less people out there that are my height. You know, I wouldn't hesitate. I'll probably use, I have a deer hunt this year. I'll probably use the P234 um, just because it it's still five inches taller than anything else that's out there on the market at the standard 27 inch height. So um, yeah, man, right now where we're at is we build them in Yuma. That's where uh, my partner has his shop. We build them in Yuma, machine all the parts in Yuma. Pretty much all the parts are American-made. The carbon fiber is sourced from Asia, but it's an American-made product. We're made in America. I mean, like, down to the, you know, uh, even the little bolts that are all bought and made in America. 
So it's pretty cool. We're right now we're experiencing. We're probably about four to eight weeks out. If you go to our website and order, realistically, some of the bipods will ship probably within a week or two of you ordering them. But we say four to eight weeks to give us a little bit of leeway there in case we have a little bit of issues with supply chain. Right now, I'm out scouting for bighorn sheep because our parts didn't get back from the anodizer, which. We outsource anodizing. It goes anodizing is a process that basically hardens aluminum and it colors them black. Um, we outsource our anodizing to a couple different Arizona companies. Uh, it's just a process we just don't don't care to do. You, it's a lot of steps, and you kind of got to be specific about it if you do it. But it's great, man. It's been great and very humbling to see all the feedback. Um, we definitely along this way learned that we want to build a brand. Um, so we wanted to make our bipods right. Uh, a lot of guys don't know that we, on our website, we disclose that we offer a five-year repair and uh, replacement for our bipods. And it's just like, we're small business. So, you know, we were direct consumer. Um, I've had a few different, you know, retailers reach out to me and we're just, we're a niche product and, and not saying we won't ever go to retail, but right now we're a direct consumer brand that we want to control our whole, you know, customer experience. Um, there's not a bipod that shipped out that I haven't touched. Um, and I probably made it, you know, as far as assembled it. So yeah, it's been great. It's, uh, I thought about it a lot the last few days. You know, what I wanted to accomplish when I set out to do this probably four years ago. Um, and I know I've done that. And uh, sales are going good. Um, it's, you know, picking up. It's that time of, time of year. I wish we had enough inventory right now to where we could just sell as soon as they you got on, got on the website. But we're, you know, we're a lean startup. So we, you know, as soon as we get the order in, we process the order. And we're, we're still machining now. But we have one CNC machine that... Uh, you know, and, and, and one guy doing the machine, um, my partner. So there's only, there's only so many hours in a day you can work, you know, Craig, where do you see this company in 10 years? Um, I see Rocksteady as a brand for the serious hunter that wants to minimize their gear and utilize their gear to the absolute fullest and when i talk about gear i'm talking about from rifle to optic supports um and and want to have a system that works together that uh you know is built for guys with our dna That's where I see us. So you're not chasing a, a giant market. You're chasing a niche market of hardcore Western style type hunters, predator hunters, um, guys yeah, that want to shoot, shoot steady, um, shoot off a stable platform. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, uh, that really, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I get to see a lot of is, <sighs> and you know this is there's nothing worse than putting in a lot of time as a guide and then 
seeing a hunter struggle with making the shot or not being able to get comfortable and making the shot. Um, and then seeing that dream or that thing go out the window. I get to see a lot of it, a lot of predator hunts. We get a lot of guys that miss too. Um, I would tell anybody that's, that thinks they're good at shooting to start going predator hunting and try shooting coyotes that are about five inches wide from the cedar position from about 50 to about 450 yards and, and you'll get humbled really quick on what is rock steady and what is not. Um, and so I, I'm kind of, I kind of micromanage that and I've learned a lot over the years. Like, um, I am not the best rifleman. I know I'm not like, I don't shoot as much as I should. I've learned a lot from watching a lot of videos and then going out and implementing myself. I've tried to get better at, you know, at wind reads for big game hunting and, and doping and, and learning calibers and, and being more accurate with rifles so that I would get, I can help my hunters when I'm in the field and for my own self, you know, um, I love to see the, all the stuff in the PRS, the precision rifle shooting and the NRL stuff. Um, I think it's great to, to see guys trying to get better at, at shooting. Um, but there's a different aspect that goes into it when you're hunting. It's, there's a lot more that's on the line and you know, you're, you're amped up, you know, just full tilt. I've seen guys just come unglued and just, it's very, very important to have a stable platform to shoot from. Um, and that's one of the things I, a lot of guys, they, they may be great on paper or they may be great out shooting four or 500 yards hitting steel, but then they get in a hunting situation with a big animal or even a coyote coming in and they just lose it, you know? Um, so that's, that's, I just wanted to create something that was better. That was out there. That was the best, you know? And, uh, one of the first things that guys say when they get our bipod, because it's a, it's, it's wider than most bipods from a platform standpoint. Um, and that's, that's with intention, um, is they can't believe how light it is because I don't like to call them lightweight because then people think they're not durable. Um, but they're light. Like our P234 is 18 and a half ounces and it has five more inches in height than, you know, a traditional 27 inch bipod. Um, that is, and it's, it's more, it's more rigid because of the material, the design. Um, it, it's, it's one of those things where that's what guys really, really say is they can't believe how light our bipods are. And that's critical. You know, as well as I do that whether you're in shape or you're not in shape, you know, that's one of the things I hated about the guys that bring extra gear. Like I'm all for for guys that are like, I just shoot off my tripod and prone. I totally get that. So if you, if you're a coos guy and you just shoot, you just want to get our prone bipod or you have a prone bipod and you shoot off a tripod and your prone bipod. Great. Um, our prone bipods, 13 ounces. I'm all for tripod shooting, but tripods are slower and it takes time to set them up. And oftentimes I want my glass on my tripod. Um, 
and then I get into my rifle if I'm doing the shooting. Um, so there, there's there's just different nuances. But I, I've seen a lot of guys carry, like, trigger sticks. Um, and I'm like, so they got a prone bipod, and they got a trigger stick. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this is like, this is like, if we're three miles in on the late elk hunt, I'm doing all the packing, you know, like you, you, you can't, I mean, it, it's just too much gear, you know? So I want to, I want to eliminate gear. I don't want to make any extra gear. Um, I just want the gear to work together from a, from a, you know, stability standpoint. Um, and you know, that's part of what's great about our bipods too, with the quick, quick detach is they're dang sure secure and rigid when you have them on there and they freaking go on quick. And they come off quick. Um, but you can put your bipod in your pack. And then you don't have the bipod legs hanging out there. And if, if you want to shoot off your pack, I'm all for that. Like, sometimes it's better to lay your pack over a rock. And it's more comfortable. Take your bipod off. I mean, it's it's a paperweight. You know, it, it's extra extra weight. Leave it in your pack. You know, um, so I don't know. I'm very opinionated when it comes to that, just because you You've know. Seen when, it. You've seen it. When all. you're on those, yeah. When you're on those, on those hunts, and you see people showing up with with extra gear, you know, or even carrying a set of trigger sticks and a prone bipod, you're like, crap. And I get it. I get it because I've been there where it's like, you know, I've hunted with just a prone Harris and my tripod. And, you know, I've never hunted with trigger sticks and a prone bipod and a tripod. I won't do that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've seen guys on a, on a, on a full day predator hunt, just the last few stands, just be like, I'm not going to carry any, uh, my sticks with me. And I'm like, well, then we're not going to go make the stand. Like there's no, there's no, I'm not going to go call a coyote in so you miss it. Like, cause you're going to miss, it's just, I don't right. care if it's a 50 yard, you might get lucky and I get it. Like there's some guys that, but it's, it's like glass and freehand versus, you know, glassing from a tripod. It's, it's, it's night and day, you know? Right. So if you can get, if you can get set up, you know, and a, a bipod is just quicker than a tripod to shoot off of. Um, and you can maneuver a little bit better, you know, uh, tripods have their place in shooting for sure uh, i wouldn't argue against that at all especially with our vision but uh they definitely have their place but a bipod one that can detach and attach and is the appropriate lengths and and gives you the stability like man I'm, as you can tell I'll, I'll talk about this all day i'm extremely passionate about it because it's, it's really? one of those things where i just, I just like yeah just a little <laughs> bit <laughs> but you know it's been a journey and i i at the end of the day if if let's just say let's just say you know if, if if the market isn't as big as what i anticipate or what we anticipate it to be and you know it's like gosh dang man we're just you know sales have gone flat and blah 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 at the end of the day you know what i'm freaking proud because i know we made the best um and i've got a product that i'm going to use for you know 10 15 20 years so 
There you have it, Craig. It's awesome. Love hearing about it. Um, I want to give you a chance to let the listeners know how they can reach you, how they can read more about Rocksteady, Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters, Predator Exclusives, all of that stuff. Um, Why don't you lay it on us? So the best way to find me is probably on Instagram, at CraigStillAZ. Um, That's my Instagram handle. You can go to my profile there and click on all the Instagram um, links to each one of those, you know, entities, for lack of better terms. If you want to check out the bipod, it's it's rocksteadyhuntinggear.com. You can just Google Rocksteady. Um, that's our trademark is Rocksteady. And you, you'll see all sorts of bipod stuff. Um, exclusivepursuitoutfitters.com. That's all of our big game stuff. And predatorexclusives.com. So. Okay, before you leave, I want to settle the score. What's this nonsense I hear you saying that you could school me in one-on-one? Who said that? I've been hearing it. I've heard it from four or five different sources that Craig Steele says he could dunk right over the top of, of you. I can't dunk anymore. <laughs> I might be able to dunk, but then my knee's going to be swelled up for the next few years. I'm, uh, uh, I, finally, I finally realized that... Uh, you're not 20 anymore? Well, it's uh, coming down. You know, and most days I don't feel like going up. So I'm in. I am impressed. I see see photos on Instagram and you look like you're in the best shape of your life. I never had a 40 inch vertical anyway. I just have a six foot nine wingspan. So (laughs) (laughs) if anybody ever sees me while they're glassing out there and they think or they think they see Bigfoot, it was probably just me. So. All right, one on one. First one. You would be dead. First one to ten. How many points are you giving me? <laughs> are we playing? Are we playing Michael Jordan rules? Are we playing LeBron James uh, sissy basketball? Yeah, that's a whole nother topic. Um, that's a whole nother topic. Hey, before you go, speaking of that, have you watched yeah. the Tom Brady uh, documentary that he did? Did I watch it? Of course you did, right? <laughs> it was phenomenal. Like, I mean, I, I've i never really, um, I don't want to say I'm not a Tom Brady fan, but there were a lot of things in that that I really, really, I'm glad that I watched it because I respect them even more now. And I'm, I'm not a huge football fan in the first place, but yeah. I'm really glad that I watched it. And I think there were a lot of things that really came clear to me on his work work ethic and you know his never say die attitude uh, i knew that you were probably glued to the set when it when it came out and i'm pumped that i got to see it i would encourage anyone out there to check it out um i i really gained a lot of respect for him after watching that yeah i watched i watched uh i watched that one then i watched uh what was the last dance i mean that's phenomenal i haven't been on the podcast in a while but that was all like during like COVID lockdowns and whatnot, or just like yeah. it's been a crazy. Jordan's the weeks. last dance was phenomenal as well. I love. I just watched the Derek Jeter one again. I'm not a big. I'm not a big baseball fan, um, but I'm not a big sports fan in general. So. Gained a lot of respect for uh, Derek Jeter as well. So, 
Craig, it's always great having you on the podcast. Um, good luck out there this season. Guys, check out Rocksteady and uh, go follow Craig. Uh, buddy, thanks for your friendship. Thanks for coming on, okay? Hey, thanks for having me on, Jay. Appreciate right, it. God bless.